Hey, welcome back to the future. Welcome back to the 2045 podcast. This is Sophie, your host. And today we have a part two of a very special and mind-blowing episode, in my opinion, because we're talking about uh, the intersection between two fields, bio and tech. So it's like, yes, biotech, but in a very special form. It's called biological computing. Not to be confused with computational biology, biocomputing is actually this idea of using actual biomolecules of physical biomolecules, the liquid thing, to perform computations, meaning things that would have only be possible for traditional computers in the past. And by traditional computers, I mean the ones uh, such as your smartphone, such as your laptop, your desktop, and all of those. And we are featuring Anna Hag and Amiel Wambo, two ambitious teenagers who are working in this field, who have developed their own projects and have had hands on these uh, kind of technology their, themselves. In the previous episode, we were kind of having an overview of the field, describing the basics, uh, what it means to do biocomputing, what is it really the main fields or areas within that uh, field itself, you know, like uh, data storage or computing, peptide computing, DNA computing. But I guess that in this episode, we'll go deeper into DNA computing or biocomputing itself and not only data storage. So uh, we'll describe what it means to engineer biology and also go over some advantages that biocomputing apparently has over quantum computing, which is mind-blowing in my opinion. And in the end, we'll talk about some companies like Microsoft that are working on this. So let's get started. And just to be sure with efficiency, do you mean the same as Samuel in the sense of um, making like the reading and writing shorter in terms of time or making it like less prone to errors? I think, like, for efficiency, I kind of mean, like, the efficiency of, like, yeah, kind of like reading and writing, but then also, like, just having your data in DNA, like, how efficient it is versus having it in your computer, because there are some, like, errors, and then there's also reading and writing it. Like, it's just efficiency kind of overall is there's some struggles there, but we're getting there. And moving on to DNA computing, I am very curious to know how to translate this into the biological context, because we know about uh, logic gates. Maybe we can explain that a little bit uh, and transistors and just uh, circuit, circuit logic. But how does this actually happen in DNA? We've talked about uh, with DNA data storage, we've talked about probably single nucleotides and how A could translate to, let's say, zero, one and and G to zero, zero, and so on. Uh, but I think that we can level up that complexity by talking about biological circuits. So what would be the sort of explanation for that? Yeah, so um, you mentioned the quite a, uh, parts of the uh, classical computers we have now, like transistors and logic gates. Uh, transistors are the, um, I guess you can call them microscopic switches, and, and they switch between like zeros and ones. And what actually makes them either like input output a one or a zero would be the logic gates or the logic uh, the the logic they function they have. Um, so we know we, we are familiar with like. And gates, which produce so which produces an output only when an output when an input and another out input are both one. Um, so it's in the presence. If you were to convert, if you were to translate this uh, into a um, 
biological circuit, you would um, produce a single output only if two inputs uh, are present or active. Um, so a way I think of this is um, oftentimes you can have like uh, a, a gene expression only when uh, two conditions are fulfilled. So um, that is how you would maybe have an AND gate in a synthetic biological circuit uh, when it comes to an OR gate where you only pr where you produce an output when uh, one one input or another is present, then you would have um, a, a gene expressed or a protein produced. So those are uh, maybe less clear ways to explain it, but uh, oftentimes there are truth tables, uh, which you can see that will um, present to you how, um, I mean, what the inputs of certain logic gates would be uh, in a synthetic, synthetic biological circuit or uh, an electrical electronical circuit. So this looks something like uh, we have a gene that senses some kind of environmental condition, and then if that gene is expressed, it uh, activates some other, let's say, inputs, which in turn create like some sort of logic. How, how does this look like when we go down to the molecular level, when we talk about promoters or, I don't know, inhibitors? Yeah, so um, let's take the example of during uh, like gene expression. If uh, you want uh, a certain enzyme to bind with the promoter, you would only, it can only bind to it in the presence of, for example, an activator, which helps it position itself properly or get in the right um, or, or it, it enables the activation of a certain gene. So um, in that case, the output or it, which would be the gene expression only occurs when the activator and the enzyme which uh, binds to the promoter uh, are present. So if that is more like of a, a concrete example of an um, AND gate where uh, two conditions are fulfilled, one being the enzyme, second being the activator, which uh, enable the expression or production of a uh, gene or protein. So um, I, I guess it comes down to like the stimuli you have if you want it to be more like environmental change or you could have um, like certain signals or the presence of certain um, like molecular components which would play into the uh, synthetic biological circuits and act as inputs. Anna, how would you translate all of this, let's say, genetic logic, or actually uh, the Boolean logic to genetics? So, yeah, like, I feel like um, I'll explain it, like, pretty good, but, like, yeah, so, like, a good analogy I like to think of, like, when I think about it is, so, when I think of Boolean logic, like, in general, like, for an AND gate, for example, in order to turn on a light bulb, you'd have to have both light switches on. Or, you know, if it was an or, you'd have to have one or the other on to turn it on. And so, like, when you think of that kind of more genetically, like, so the stimuli would be, like, you turning on the light bulb, but it would be in your environment. And then when you look at it, there's... So the cool thing about biology is, like, a lot of our cells and stuff act similar to computers, just in different ways. But so the gene would express, and then that would give us our inputs, which would be for example, the flipping on of the light switch, and that would cause us to get our output, which might it be whatever we could decide, you know, the computational task we would want. 
Okay, interesting. And I think that Amiel previously mentioned synthetic biological circuits, you know, this synthetic biology concept that I find uh, very interesting that also has to do with like biological engineering. So I think that both uh, like biological computing and synthetic biology and genetic engineering relate and they could even be used interchangeably. But the question goes in the sense of uh, engineering biology, like using this engineering principles or logic principles to treat biology like that and basically thinking of life as something that can be standardized or that's what I like the way I like to see it. So I've been, uh, you know, reading a lot of articles about people who philosophize about what it means to engineer biology or reverse engineer biology. And I'm curious about your opinion. What do you think uh, it, this means? Like, what does it mean to standardize life, to um, like predict what the outcome would be based on designing these biological circuits, these biological computers, and so on? Yeah, um, I often think well, the way I see it really is like traditional science and research is concerned with the like trying to understand biological systems and organisms. Mm-hmm. So it would be exploring maybe some evolutionary relationships or um, how certain uh, biomolecules and organisms I, I come about, uh, whereas engineers or bioengineers are really con- uh, concerned with the uh, building out on top of that knowledge and uh, manipulating and engineering life. Um, as for like standardizing that and um, making it more of a, uh, I guess, structured thing where you can uh, just ad- um, adjust life to fit your like uh, design needs or, or intentions. Um, I, I do think that is something a lot of bioengineers will be working on. And so um I also expect that to be um, is, uh, coming up soon, and I, I do make that distinction in my mind, where uh, if I think of like a biologist, it's more of the understanding part, where you want to like build knowledge and make some discoveries, whereas more uh, bioengineers will want to um, build on top of that knowledge and make use of that to serve uh, certain specific purposes. Oh, I totally love that way of thinking. Like, biologists have discovered everything we know about how life works, but then engineers will come and say, what can we build with this? And another question that I have uh, coming off of that is, like, do you think that uh, cells or living organisms in general could one day or even today be considered something that we can fully understand using this kind of logic? Can we, will we come to a point in which we can think of a cell uh, more like a computer instead of a burrito, which is kind of the comparison that is often made? What do you think about that, Anna? Well, I think that's definitely a very interesting question. Because it's, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'm not sure if we could think of, like, we could transform our thinking of thinking like a cell, taking it from a burrito to a computer. Because I kind of feel like bioengineering more, like, utilizing the processes to fulfill the things we want it to do. And even though it does, like, a lot of processes, I still, like, I don't necessarily see an individual cell in your body as a computer unless we do something to utilize its power. Like, I see it more as 
part of you, but it could become a computer depending on how you decide to utilize it. So I'm not sure about that distinction. I think it'd be more like a super or like a energized burrito or something. It has a lot of potential to do a lot, but like as it is right now, as the organism is right now, or as the cell is right now, I still see it more as like the burrito. Okay, okay. I think that that's kind of the uh, perspective for now. I'm I'm personally not sure if we will still consider cells like uh, something that we cannot fully understand or decipher, or that we can think of them as burritos. But uh, you know, continuing with the conversation, what do you think are like the most mind blowing applications of DNA computing? I've heard of one that is. Doing AI algorithms with DNA, which totally blows my mind, and well, of course, that living、uh, medicines are part of this, as well as DNA data storage, even. But you know, in the context of circuit logic and genetic logic, what would you say are the actual most exciting applications that we should be aware of? Ooh, okay.、Um, <laughs> I guess really for me.、Um, And like, if I'm gonna pull away from like the biomedical applications, I'd say for the、um, production、um, of like certain bioproducts, in the sense where I know we 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 have like unlocked the ability to make pharmaceuticals or biofuels、um, with uh, the uh, available、um, resources and、uh, through engineering、uh, of like biomolecules. And、um, so, so the way I see it really is that we will be able to、um, like engineer these、uh, synthetic biological circuits to、um, adapt first off to their surroundings, and then from the available resources or stimuli they have,、um, then、uh, express certain、uh, proteins and genes that will be useful for the production of certain products. And、uh, to me. I I don't want to think too much of like everything we can make if we like we're able to engineer、um, and and design these circuits to、uh, fulfill the functions we want to. But I I still think it's really exciting to think of everything we can、uh, like tweak to I guess fulfill our our purposes and、um, all the products we can make、uh, once we understand.、Um, How 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 they are made in cells and、um, how we can use that to our advantage to、uh, produce at certain cues. Yeah, and regarding all these applications, Emil, you may want to elaborate a little bit more on maybe the projects that you have in mind for using cells as biological computers or living medicines. Oh yeah, so onto living medicines.、Um, so I really、uh, was interested in. Like、uh, these synthetic logic biological circuits that you can put inside biocomputers, which would, for example,、um, if they detect, if a biocomputer detects uh, certain um, signals of a disease, we can say、uh, of a tumor or cancer, it could be able to.、Um, Produce a sentinel function, which would indicate the presence of the disease to、um, like the organism in which the biocomputer is,、um, and then. As serve as like a diagnostic, and then we can also have the biocomputer act as a、uh, treatment for certain、uh, diseases before symptoms even appear, because we do know that there is a delay between the、uh, actual disease、uh, 
indicators inside our bodies. And uh, when we have like these physical um, and we have these physical symptoms. So um, to me, if we would, if we could have these biocomputers within us um, that kind of act uh, with our immune system in a sense where we can um, uh, work to, we can work with our immune system to really tackle these diseases before they deteriorate. Um, I really see biocomputers um, helping with the development of living medicines and strengthening our bodily functions. Wow, that sounds amazing. Kind of like nanobots or, but, you know, in the context of living things and biosensors as well. So mind blowing. And I, now that you mention all these applications, maybe, Anna, do you think that there is a distinction that we can make between doing biological computing and thinking of uh, this as synthetic biology, like all these production of like substances or biofuels or like having like um, biosensors. Do you think there's a difference between thinking of it as biological computers as opposed to just uh, synthetic biology? Yeah, so I think like that's interesting, but like so synthetic biology is definitely a very big umbrella that biocomputing fits under. And I think biocomputing, the real distinguishing process is looking at it more to, you know, carry out computational tasks versus creating a product. Like how a biofuel would be more synthetic biology, creating a biocomputer that could go and diagnose diseases would fit better under biological computing. I think it's looking at it like how you would kind of look at like a computer, right? Like if it can do the specific process, if it can run a specific task, then it would be more like a biological computer. But if it's just a product that is created, not necessarily the process of creating the product, but if it's just the product that is created, then I would personally see it more as like synthetic biology, where the synthetic biology is like the product, like the computer itself, and then biological computing is the task that the computer runs. Okay, so we could say that if the cell or the living organism is analyzing things and actually there is some logic behind it from beyond just creating a substance, we can think of it as biological computing. And then if it's just like creating something and not reacting to its environment or other kinds of things, then it's just synthetic biology. Okay. And Anna, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about your projects or some ideas that you have in mind, something that you found, uh, again, mind-blowing about biological computing. I remember that you mentioned the biomedical applications that this field could have, so... Yeah, I definitely think, like, there is so many amazing applications in this field. Like, it's just unlimited. Like, literally every day, like, I... I find something new and I'm like, wait, what if we used it in this or this? <laughs> and I think that's really cool. And like a big part too is like also something that I've been thinking about too is like the use possibly to look in like map the connectome, right? It's a nanoscale and it's small enough that it could be a possible application. And I think the other really cool thing about biocomputers, especially in the application in the body, but in other applications too, is that these biocomputers can power themselves, which means we wouldn't constantly have to be replacing batteries or charging it. It powers itself by its own processes, just like, you know, our cells do with that. And I think that's really 
exciting because I mean, think of all the things we could do that we couldn't do before because of the limits of, oh, this is going to die before it can get to our point or it uses too much power. And definitely the biomedical applications are very interesting. And even the other applications, just I think it's got a lot of potential and just I feel like the more we look into how it could be used in each field, the more we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And talking about these kind of other applications apart from the biomedical ones that it could have, I've heard other people compare biological computers in some sense to quantum computers. And, you know, quantum computers, I think those have like um, created a little bit of more hype maybe, but we've uh, like you guys and I have also like heard of um, some sorts of limitations that quantum computers have, such as having to, you know, be at really cold temperatures or uh, even others that have to be that are related to speed or to their capacity of doing some sorts of computations that biological computers could overcome. So what do you think are like the limitations that computers, uh, biological computers are solving or overcoming that quantum computers still have? Yeah, I think uh, uh, one I can think of is that a lot of quantum computers uh, deal with errors, uh, whether that be in the form of like noise, faults, or like loss of quantum coherence uh, with their qubits. So um, I, I don't think that biocomputers would have to struggle with similar uh, errors. And um, in that sense, I feel like the the um, the way they also like behave would be uh, very distinctly different. So um, I. I feel like maybe um, another way, another one they could overcome is, as you said, like the cold temperatures that they wouldn't need to uh, like perform their calculations. And um, I just, I just also think of like biocomputers as just uh, having the ability to perform such complex calculations in a much more uh, time efficient way um, than like computers we have currently. So um, I, I, I'm still like trying to uh, research more on this, but I'd be interested in seeing like a similar algorithm running on both a quantum and a biocomputer to see uh, the speed at which they would perform them. And in terms of like, I once heard that biological computers can kind of perform two or more computations, probably infinite amount of computations at the same time. So what does that mean? And how does this, um, how is this better to quantum computing? An analogy I, I got told uh, was that uh, let's say that you have maybe like three input signals. You start with like three tracks on a like running on a running train or uh, around a field. Uh, you often have tracks. So um, if a biocomputer starts with three tracks, it can produce like <laughs> it can produce hundreds uh, at the same time and, and run all these calculations simultaneously. And in that sense, I really see biocomputers as um, not just parallel processing, but just uh, having a way to uh, process all this information and perform all these calculations um, and, and increase while doing so. Um, so it's it's more than just, you know, you, you start with three tracks and you end with three tracks, like, and, and they're running at the same time, but rather you, uh, all these other possibilities are opening up and all these other new tracks are being added onto like your three lanes. Um, and you can do so much more with, uh, that type of processing and that type of processing power. Hmm. What are your thoughts on this, Anna? 
Yeah, I think I personally think like a chronic can quantum computer like even though it has like a lot of potential and power i kind of see it as going on the same track is like we've been going on like with computers like when you look back even 10 years ago like the things that our computer can do now and the size it can fit into and stuff is crazy compared to what it could 10 years ago but i see quantum computers like still following the same track like even though it's getting better it's still it's we're still going to have lots of issues that arise. And I kind of, I feel like biological computing, the reason that it doesn't always have some of the same ears with noise or like even temperature is because it's looking more at like nature and like what has already been built and using it to our advantage versus trying to build something new and make it work for us. And I kind of feel like that's like the big thing for me is that it's different than regular computing because we are building something and then making it do something for us. It could have unlimited potentials because it already exists and it's just us figuring out how to use it. And I think that's like the big thing for me, but obviously, you know, quantum computers, they're different than regular computers too. So, I mean, they, they could be, they, well, they are going to be world changing, but I feel like at some point we're going to run into the same issues that we run into on every track that we've taken with the regular computers. Interesting. Yeah, I think there's like so much more to explore. And finally, I think I'd just like to wrap this up by mentioning some of the companies that you've heard about in the field of biological computing. I know that Microsoft is one of them and that personally gives me a lot of hope uh, in this field, like knowing that such a big corporation is working on a project like this or a field like this, it kind of makes you feel like this is going to be a big next thing. But are there any others? And we can maybe also talk about what Station B, the, the uh, Station B team is doing at Microsoft. Yes, I mentioned a couple of at first, uh, at the start of the, who were um, forming an alliance, as I said, to um, tackle some of the, or I guess like really advanced digital DNA storage. Um, and, I, and I really consider like Illumina, a, a giant in the biotech world uh, for uh, genetic sequencing. So um, I think that's one we can consider as well. As for Station B, um, I'm not too familiar with the work they still do now, so maybe you want to catch me up on that one as well. Yeah, what I think uh, they have is like, I think that Anna may know a little bit more about this for the Purple Dot Project or something like that, I think. Uh, but they're essentially doing research right now. And I, I heard that they were planning to kind of launch some sort of uh, program for DNA storage this past 2020 year. But uh, yeah, maybe if you know something more about that, Anna. Yeah, so I looked at it like, two months ago, but I think I know, like, I'm pretty caught up on it. But when I think of, like, Station B, they're, I personally think that, like, a lot of their research is focused more on getting, like, they're advancing the actual, like, computing processes versus, like, a lot of the companies you see are more digital DNA storage. Um, and a lot of their research is kind of, like, even though they are working on that, like, I know that they've done research with 
the logic gates specifically figuring those out and how they can optimize them in the cells and then also just trying to figure out how we could actually turn you know the biological substances into a physical like biocomputer chip which is still kind of you know a question mark in the field like can we actually make this real it's more theoretical for some places and that's kind of like more their work um and i think like another cool company even though like I don't think it'd be as scalable, but I personally think it's kind of cool is grow your own cloud. So they turn the digital DNA, they turn the digital data into plants, like actual plants. And even though that might not be as like really applicable in the real world, I personally think it's pretty cool. Like turning your digital DNA, digital data into something (laughs) physical. Yeah, and I want to mention also Asthma, which is a really cool company working on genetic circuits. Um, and, and they're really trying to uh, implement them in mammalian cells so they could have um, actual like function or they have actual therapeutic relevance for like us as humans. So um, I think that's also a really cool company uh, located in Cambridge, but I might be wrong. Wow, amazing. Like, I I personally think that when you are already seeing companies working on a certain field or a certain idea, it's because something's happening in the field. So, well, I just uh, want to thank you all very much for listening to this and for coming and for sharing all your experience and knowledge about this amazing topic. I don't know if you would like to kind of... uh, tell people who got really interested in biological computing something so they can get started, uh, an advice, a course that they could look into. Yeah, so I just recommend that you search up um, like the topics you mentioned. And also, if you are going to search things up, um, but when you search biological computing, not many things are going to show up at first because this is not a popular or I guess, widespread topic, but um, I do recommend that you search variations of the keywords, so if that be like biocomputing, biocomputer, and as we mentioned, like DNA computing, there are a lot of things that will show up, and um, I do have a Notion document with a bunch of the resources and takeaways I have of like different articles I've read in research papers, so if you are interested in pursuing that, um, there's so much information in that document that I'd love to share with you. Sure, I'll link all of that in the description. And also, if you want to contact Amiel or Anna, or where can they find you, like uh, Twitter, or is there any other kind of social media that people can find you at? Yeah, all my li- all my socials are linked on my website, which is just amielwb.com, and you can find me anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I also, my website is annalheck.com, and all my socials are linked there, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter or uh, email me at my Gmail. Um, and I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in it. And then I think also if you're interested in it, like searching up Sarah Jane Dunn, she's really interesting and she's done a lot of work and she's done a lot of cool talks about it. Like for the beginners, I think that's a really great place to start. Or if you want to look more at like the biomedical applications, look at, okay, I'm going to probably say this wrong, but I think it's Wesman University. It's in Israel, but they've done a lot of the cool stuff with the biomedical applications. And also just like what Amiel was saying is search different different versions of the word and just, you know, different 
places, Google Scholar, all that stuff, and something will come up. And just, it's really just about starting the research. It, it gets easier the more you do it. <laughs> For sure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming, Anna and Amiel. Your projects are truly amazing. Biological computing is truly mind-blowing. I'm sure that we'll continue to see more innovations in this field and more projects uh, that you create on your own. So everybody who's listening, just stay tuned for the projects that Anna and Amiel are working on. I'll leave their social media links in the description below. As always, remember that we have weekly episodes. So I'll see you in the next week. Bye.